Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Epiphany Church. Uh, my name is Pastor Derek Parks, and I have the privilege of standing here today to bring the word of God. I want you all to know I, I consider it a privilege. I really do. I consider it a privilege, uh, one that I'm unworthy for. <laughs> uh, but Jesus uh, allows for me to be in this place to, to share his word with you. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm doing that. I'm, I'm sharing the word of God with you as best as I can. Uh, I'm not trying to give you a whole bunch of, 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 of Derek-isms or anything like that. I'm trying to give you straight from the word of God because I believe that the word of God has the power to transform lives. And so if the word has transformed your life in any way, let's, let's just give God some praise for the transformation power of the word of God. And so one of the joys that I have as a pastor is watching people uh, uh, grow in, th- in and through the word. Uh, and, 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 you know, sometimes I, I preach this stuff and I feel like, oh, is anybody listening to me? <laughs> uh, but the word of God is actively working and moving. In fact, the scripture tells us that it is very effective and that it goes, it, when it goes out, it accomplishes what it was set out to do. Uh, and so to be able to watch that in your lives, to be able to watch God working uh, in and through his people is, is a wonderful, wonderful thing for me as a pastor. And so uh, I'm so excited to be here uh, with you guys today. Um, before I do that, I want to do something really quickly. She might stab me. But hey, yesterday was my wife's birthday. Come here, baby. So. Might stab me in my neck. Don't watch out. Come on in here so they can see you on on the on the on the YouTube's. Okay. <laughs> so yesterday was my wife's birthday, and we had fun yesterday. We went out and hung out. Um, but listen to me. I, I want to celebrate you publicly today because listen, without you um, in my life, like none of this is possible. And so I love you. Um, I'm so excited for you um, as you are navigating through life together with me and praise God for the patience that you have <laughs> as you are dealing with me <laughs> all right you can go sit down that's this he did too much no that was that was a bit much so happy birthday babe we love you um we're so excited for you let's let's uh, happy birthday her again one more time amen all right so uh let's let's do this let's uh, get ready for the word of God uh this morning uh, we are in the book of James. Amen. Uh, James chapter one, verses 13 through 15. I took a little break last week on Father's Day to talk to you about James's daddy. Um, his father, excuse me, his father. People don't like when I say that. Uh, <laughs> certain people. <laughs> we're talking about his, his father. Um, but today we're going to jump back into the book of James. In verse 13 through 15, with a message that I'm titling as Devoted Desire. Devoted Desire. This series that we're in is called Devoted. Uh, and the idea of devotion is a bit of a misnomer in our culture. Um, long story short is that we don't value devotion. Because anything that, that predicates one being devoted is oftentimes sneered at and frowned upon. And the reason for that is because... Devotion as the, is defined as giving all or a large part of oneself to a cause. And so we don't like to give our whole self. <laughs> uh, we like to give parts of us. We like to give pieces of us. 
uh, and we do that for various reasons. One of those reasons is so that we don't get hurt. See, the last time you gave all of yourself to something or someone, you got hurt. Uh, but I want to encourage you this morning is that Jesus never mishandles your devotion. He never mishandles your devotion. In fact, he lets you uh, understand that when you give your all to him, you can't outgive God. And so I want to encourage us this morning as we're navigating through uh, this book of James together, James, the brother of Jesus, writing to us in writing to the Christians in the in the early centuries of the church. He, he, he I want us to see is that devotion, the strength of our devotion lies within our ability to give ourselves away to Jesus, not in what we're able to hoard for ourselves. So the book of James speaks really clearly to us today. And so I'm going to let him speak. Uh, James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Uh, if you don't have your Bible, uh, we'll have it on the screen for you. But if you've got your Bible, pull it out and, and, and let's go there. Let's hear the words of our Father through our brother James. He says, No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. Verse 14, listen to this. It says, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. The devil didn't make you do it. Verse 15, he says, then, after desire has conceived, somebody say conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Father, I pray by your spirit, God, that you would lead us today. Lead us into truth, Father. Help us to see what it is you have for us today. And so, Father, I pray, God, that as we uh, proclaim from these words of Scripture, uh, God, that you would teach us and guide us and lead us and strengthen us. But, God, also help us to have hearts that are receptive to receive this word. And so, Father, I pray, God, that we would become devoted in our desire. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. One hundred years ago, a study was conducted, and it, and it figured out, that the average American had about 70 wants, 70 desires, things that they wanted. A similar survey was taken uh, a few years ago, and it showed that the grandson of that man has over 500 desires on his list. Anybody can attest to that. <laughs> we want a whole lot. But hear the words of the North African father, Augustine. He responds to this idea with these words from his confessions. He says, sin comes in when we take a perfectly natural desire or longing or ambition and try desperately to fulfill it without God. Not only is it sin, it is a perverse distortion of the image of the creator within us. All these good things 
and all our security are rightly found only and completely in Christ Jesus. And so what I want to argue for us today is this, is I want to ask the question, what is it that you desire? In fact, I'll, I'll ask a better question to help you postulate this a little bit better, is who do you desire? See, as, as we're looking at this passage of Scripture, it's so important for us to understand uh, that our desires are natural, and those things that we desire in life, they are oftentimes not bad things for us to desire. It, it, it's, it's good for you to desire to want to have a spouse. That's a good desire. It, it's good for you to want to have a job where you make decent enough money so that you don't have to scrape and scrap for your bills each and every month. It's a good desire for you to want to have a reliable piece of transportation. Those are good things. None of those are inherently bad. But what happens is, like St. Augustine tells us, is that we oftentimes distort those natural desires by trying to fulfill it without God. And so James here, he helps us to understand and how to navigate this understanding because James is writing to some believers who find themselves ex in exile and scattered abroad. He finds himself talking to some believers who at one point may have had some stuff but had to give up that stuff because of the name that they were proclaiming. See, he's writing to some people who, who at one point may have, may have lived and, and boasted around their possessions, but now they've had to give up their possessions in order for the brethren to be able to not go without. And so he's writing to them from this understanding, and he's encouraging them in the midst of the trial that they are in to tell them this. He says, listen, no one undergoing a trial should say that I am being tempted by God. See, we are often disturbed and perturbed when we're going through something. I, I am. <laughs> like, I'm oftentimes disturbed and perturbed when I have to go through a trial. I'm like, Jesus, what? why this again? Like, what? What is happening right now? Can can I just have a smooth transition here in life? Can can it just be easy for me? Why do I have to keep trying to jump over these hurdles time after time after time again? Worse than that, it looks like the people who are around me who are not submitting themselves to you as fully as I am, they're going through life as easy uh, on easy street and going through it without any difficulty. And what happens is this, is that we are oftentimes disturbed when we got to go through a trial. However, listen to this, family. Undergoing a trial is a test of your faith. That's right. Undergoing a trial, listen, this, this word suggests here for undergoing a trial, it suggests that a trial is a test of your virtue. It also suggests that undergoing a trial is a test of your character. Listen to me. There used to be a time when the testing of one's virtue was received with open arms. 
men of valor and all that. They wanted to have their virtue tested. They, they, they wanted to, to show forth their strength. They wanted to show forth their character and their faith. An African proverb says this. It says is that virtue is better than wealth. See, when you've got virtue, <laughs> when you have the ability to navigate through a trial, you, you, you've got more than you need. And so for most of us, we don't want to undergo a trial because oftentimes it's just proving where our character truly lies. Most of the times we don't want to endure through, through, through trials is because it's showing forth where our virtue really is. And although we put up all of these veneers and try to show how virtuous and righteous we are at times, we aren't really doing the work of, to, in order to produce character and virtue and faith within us. It's oftentimes just lipstick on a pig. My wife and I, we, we bought a house last year. And when we were going around looking for houses, the houses online were, like, amazing. <laughs> like, the, the, the photographers were, like, top-notch. Because you get into the space, into this kitchen that you thought was massive. But then you find out that dude was just down like this, <laughs> taking a picture from an up angle. Where's Secure at? <laughs> I'm sorry, it's a wide, wide angle. <laughs> but, but what you find out is this. We found out going into those places, these places oftentimes look pristine, look like they had new floors, new cabinets, all this stuff. So we got all excited, like, yeah, we, we want to look at that house. Look at the price. Oh, my goodness. All this with the price. And then you get in there and you realize the price is right. <laughs> Because it was just lipstick on a pig. But oftentimes that's our lives. Oftentimes from looking at a distance, it looks like we got it all together. <laughs> Sometimes looking from a distance, it looks like we're flashy and shiny and new. But the reality is that when you get up close on us, our virtue isn't always intact. And, and the reality is, is that in this culture that lacks character, that lacks virtue, that lacks faith, any test of our faith feels like a cosmic bench press. It, it feels like you're trying to lift the weight of the world. But more than that, it, 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 what I mean is this, is that, that every trial we face makes us believe that we have to lift God's weight. See, for some of us, the reason why we are disturbed and perturbed is because when we get into situations, we immediately put ourselves in the place of God. And so when we get into that position, uh, we're down there on the bench press, and, and, and we think, listen, you know what? i got to lift all of this weight. All of this weight is mine. i got, I got to lift it up off of my chest. When God is standing there like, listen, bro, I got you. In fact, I know, I know that you're bench pressing. I know you think that, that you're lifting the weight off by yourself. But as the case is with most fathers, right, he's actually just lifting it up for you. And so we, we, we have this perception in our mind is that we, that we have to lift God's weight. But our responsibility in trials is not to do what God can do, but to do what we can do. 
And here's what you can do to change your circumstances. Ready? Nothing. <laughs> you can't do anything to change your circumstance. The one thing you can do, though, is to recognize that you serve a God who is able to change everything about your circumstances. And so when we rely on God, when we rely on him in the midst of our trials, that's why James is telling us that no one undergoing a trial should say that I'm being tempted by God. Because God is not placing anything on anyone for the, for the sake of their harm or their demise. He's placing something on you so that you can learn to rely on him. And so when we understand this, we, we, we have to get in our mind that this, that this tempting from God, because James is telling us no one can say they're being tempted by God. This idea here is that we are attempting to stand in the place of God. And, and when we do that, what happens is, family, is that we start to feel like there's a malicious attack against our souls. See, when trials come up, we, 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 we immediately start thinking, man, why is God letting this happen to me? We do that. We say, well, 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 why is God allowing this in my life? But the reason that we think that is because we're attempting to stand in God's place. We're not intended to be in God's position. So attempting to do so, it feels like there's something malicious happening against us. Malice is defined as an intention to do harm. And listen to me, family, God has no intention to do any of us any harm. How do I know that? The reason I know that is because his nature is good. That means that God does not have the capacity to bring harm on you in a way that is only intended to harm you. And so God is not even able to do us harm. His nature is good. His nature is benevolent. In fact, the word suggests that God is even untried in this area of doing us harm. In other words, God is uncheckable when it comes to this. You can't check God about why bad things happen to people. I know that that's one of the biggest arguments that I hear about, about faith in God and faith in Jesus is why does God let bad things happen? But the reality is, is that that, is, that, that, that idea there is that God allowing bad things to happen would insist that God is the one who is actually making the stuff happen to you for your harm. But God doesn't bring anything into your life that is not for your benefit. That doesn't mean that it's always good. That doesn't mean that it's always in the positive. But the reality is, is that whatever God lets come into your life, whatever God brings into your life, it is ultimately for your good. You may not realize it. It may not feel like it. You may not think it. You may not have surmised it to be so. But the reality is, is that whatever trial you're facing in your life, it is ultimately for your good. Why? Because God in his very nature is good. And so I want us to see this. 
We can't play with God when it comes to his intentions. Scripture tells us that we, we don't know his thoughts. We don't know his ways. His ways are higher than ours, in fact. And so what we have to understand, family, is this, is that as we're going through trials, we have to stop being so quick to ask, why is God letting this happen to me? See, it, says, it tells us that he, he does not tempt anyone, and God doesn't even tempt anyone with evil. He's not tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. This idea of evil, it's something that's out of the nature of God. This, this word for evil, it, 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 it means troublesome, troublesome, injurious, destructive, or baneful. And so, although, I want you to see, God is not troublesome, but he does make trouble. And he makes trouble for his enemies. God is not injurious, although he does bring injury to those who challenge him. Look at Job chapter 5, verse 18. God is not destructive because his nature, he's the creator. Although he does destroy idols in our hearts, he's not baneful. Although he is the bane of existence for those who do not value him. God will get all up in your stuff. When you don't value him, believer and unbeliever alike, he will get all up in your stuff when you don't properly value him. And so the challenge for us today as followers of Jesus is to make sure that we are placing the proper amount of value onto Jesus. And what that looks like is, is that when you come up on a trial, you don't place yourself in the position of God and trying to figure out how am I going to change this circumstance? No, family. What we need to do is we need to rest in and value the character of God, recognizing that he's good, even when our circumstances don't look like it. You have tracking with me? And so he, he, he tells us he said that God doesn't even tempt anyone. Listen to this. He doesn't test anyone maliciously, or he doesn't craft any, he doesn't do anything craftily to, to put people to, to, to the test and all that kind of God doesn't do that. Verse 14, he goes on to tell us, listen to this. He says, each person, though, is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Each person is tempted. In other words, being tempted is putting to proof the strength of your feelings and your judgment. Here's what I mean by that. Oftentimes, when we're being tempted, it's putting to proof how much we value our feelings over faith. See, we get into a circumstance and, and we immediately, we start feeling stuff. <laughs> we, we get all in our feels. Is that the term? Okay. <laughs> we, we get all in our fields. And, and, and the reason we get all in our fields is, he told us this in the previous verse, is that we believe that God is, is tempting us somehow. But, but he, James is correcting our mentality here to tell us that each person is tempted 
or in other words, he, he, his feelings are being put to the proof when he's drawn away from his own lust and enticement. Here's what happens, though. We get in our feels, and culture tells us to do what your feelings tell you to do. Just follow your feelings. That's, that's, that's what the culture tells us. And then we oftentimes, we oftentimes parrot that as if it is good, useful, biblical information for us to transport to people. <laughs> and, and tell them, listen, you know, when you get a feeling, you just got, you got to follow it. That, that, the scripture doesn't tell us to do that. And so this idea here of being put to proof for your feelings, culture will tell you to, to follow your feelings. Culture will tell you to follow your heart. But I, 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 I remember a, a, a poet one time say, that, that they, say they, they say listen to your heart, but if your heart is broken, how can you trust the direction of your heart? He says it, it, it's, like, it's like some gothic art, right? you you got to learn how to decipher the light from the dark. And so what happens in our feelings is that we're oftentimes not able to decipher between the good and the bad. We're not oftentimes able to decipher between what's God and what's good even. And so what the challenge is for us in this day, in this passage, is showing us don't let your feelings fool you. Your beliefs should not reflect what feels true to you. Well, it just feels right. Like that, that's, that's not how we get along. The way that we get along is by trusting God in the midst of our circumstances. Trusting Him in the midst of trials. Because what we do is we get into something and we, we say, I want to go with what feels right. You haven't consulted the Lord. <laughs> you haven't sought out anybody in community. You haven't looked to the scriptures to see what the word of God says. You just go with what feels right. And then when it turns to calamity, you want to turn around and look at God like, God, why did you let this happen to me? But the reality is, is that you walked into that thing yourself because you were doing what felt right to you. Don't do what feels right. <laughs> Do what's right. And what's right is, is to submit yourself to the word of God, even in the midst of a culture that tells you to follow your heart. He told us in the Old Testament already that the heart is desperately wicked. Who can even know it? You're around here following something that you can't even know. Something that's wicked. But then here's more what happens is this. Our feelings are guided by our hunger. Another Af- African proverb that says that a satisfied man doesn't understand the feelings of a hungry man. And so, what I want to ask the question is this. What's satisfying you? What, what's satisfying your heart? Because, right, a satisfied man doesn't understand the feelings of a hungry man. And I know that there's implications to that about poverty and different stuff like that. But, but, but what's really true spiritually is this, is that when you are satisfied already, you, you don't feel hunger 
in the same way. You go like, <laughs> where's the going at? You go, I could eat. <laughs> I, I'm not hungry, but I could eat. We do that. And, and what I want us to see is this. Is that oftentimes the reason why we're so hungry is because we're constantly filling ourselves up with empty calories. We're constantly filling ourselves up spiritually with stuff that was never meant to satisfy us. We're filling ourselves up with things <laughs> that, that never were able to satisfy our heart's desire. You're longing for intimacy, so you're sleeping around. When, when the reality is, is that God is the only one who truly offers you full intimacy. Because listen, let's be honest this morning. Married people will tell you that sex isn't, a, isn't the answer to everything. Sometimes in your marriage, listen, the intimacy that you need is not in the, is not in the bedroom. The intimacy that you need is to come together seeking God together with one another and seeking what God has for you as a couple. But we think the culture tells us that, listen, if you need it, you better go get it. <laughs> if you need it, you better go get you some. Like, wa watch yourself because you're filling yourselves up with empty calories. Things that don't satisfy you. And where oftentimes our feelings are guided by our hunger. And then here's what happens. It tells us is that when we do this, guess what? Every person who is tempted is tempted when they are drawn away and enticed by their own evil desires. This idea of being drawn away is to be lured. And I need you to see that those empty calories that you're trying to pursue, they're a lure. They're, they're baiting you. <laughs> the, the working all of that overtime at the expense of spending time with your kids is is it, it, baiting you. The, the, those things that you are pursuing, that, that, that career that you think will ultimately fulfill you, it, it, it's, it's baiting you. I went fishing for the first time uh, in 2019, I think it was. I had never been fishing before, ever. Uh, the first time I went fishing, was I was in Montana. And there was this, um, there was, where we were staying, there were guys who were like pro fishermen and they were, they were guiding us on a tour. They were taking us down uh, on the boat and getting us into water and, and showed me how to fly fish. And so the first time I'm out there, I, you know, I'm taking a line. I don't know what to do because I've never been fishing. I, and, but even though I pretended like I did, because <laughs> you know what I'm saying, I wasn't about to be out there like I didn't know. <laughs> So I, I, I was out there, and I was like, yeah, you can see, you can get this. And so I, I put the line out there, and then my little dinghy thing started to dip down below the water. I didn't know what it meant, because I'd never been fishing before. So when it went down, the lure, it went down, and I was like, cool. I'm like, cool. So I start spinning the little thing. He's like, no, man, don't. That's not how you do it. When the, when the fish hits the, the bait on the lure, what you're supposed to do is pull the line. You're supposed to pull it straight up in the air as fast and as hard as you can. 
and, 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 and what that looks like is this. When you're out there, you're on the water, the Lord's out there, he started yelling, hit! And I'm like, I don't have nothing to hit this with. Like, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> so I got the line, and then he took it, and he's like, no, hit. As soon as you feel it, hit. And you pull the line up as straight up and as fast and snatch it as quick as you can. I didn't know what to do, but I figured it out. I caught a couple of fish. When the instructor says, when he, when he started seeing the line dip, he, he, he instructed me to snatch it up because there was a lure at the end with bait on it that was set to be able to entrap the fish. And what happens is, is desire will snatch you up as fast and as quick as you can even know it, and you won't even know what hits you. See, desire in your life, when, it, when it's not properly handled with, that's why I'm calling us today to have devoted desire. Because when your desire is not properly aligned with the things of God, when, when your desire is not fit within the scheme of how God wants you to live your life, desire will snatch you away as fast and as quick as you can even imagine. He tells them, he says, listen, don't, you're, you're, you're tempted when you're drawn away from your own lust and entice. That enticement is a, is, is a trap. <laughs> we, we get trapped up by our desires because, listen, we get enticed by stuff. The reason we get enticed by stuff is because we have the wrong type of astonishment. We're astonished by the things of the world instead of being astonished by God himself. We long for created things instead of longing for the creator. And so we get enticed, we get lured in, and, and, but watch this, this, this word for enticed, it has the sense of being deluded by something. So what, what I want to argue for you this morning is don't be deluded by your desires. Don't be baited by your beliefs. Because what happens is, is that we get so caught up into the mess of life. We get so caught up into the difficulty of, of, of trials. We get so caught up in this stuff that we find ourselves in stuff that we never thought we would find ourselves in. That's the trickiness of sin. We get caught up by our evil desire, the, the lust that is within us, the desire that is within us. But I, I want you to, I want to encourage you, don't trust your desire. Trust the desire that God gives you. Psalm 34, 7, I'm sorry, Psalm 37, 4 says this. It says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. We've interpreted that mean to mean that God will give you everything that you want. That's not what that means. Yes, God will give you things that you pray for. James is going to tell us that later in this book. But that does not mean that God will give you everything that you ask for. Everything that you desire. What it's teaching us is this, is that when we take the light in the Lord, He ultimately becomes our desire. And so I ask the question again, what is it that you delight in? What is it that you desire? 
because you can't allow your desires to determine your delight in life. You have to let your you have to let your delight determine your desire. Like we 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 got to get that we 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 can't let the things that we desire determine our delight. That's why <laughs> that's why you're still single. Because you let your desires determine your delight. Here's what I mean. You got this whole list about what this man is supposed to be. You got this whole list about how this woman is supposed to look and act and behave. But really what the reality is this, is that you don't truly understand what you need until you get connected to the Savior to really know how it is that he wants you to conduct your life and the type of partner that you're going to need in order to get to the place in life where he wants you to be. So, we desire and all this stuff, and we end up lonely. But I, I want us to see this. Verse 15, he tells us, he says, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Watch this, family. That desire there, the, the, the idea for desire there, it, it talks about longing for what is forbidden. And we get that honor from our father Adam. And like, we long for stuff that is forbidden. Even when we have access to all this stuff, <laughs> whole garden full of fruit, don't eat this one, and we go straight to this one. Because we have a desire and a longing for what is forbidden. And then James tells us that after that desire for what is forbidden, after that longing for what is forbidden has been conceived, it gives birth to death. Anything that can be conceived starts out as a seed. I want to help us this morning. We have to begin to learn how to deal with our desires when they're just a seed. See, because what happens is, is that we there's this seed planted in us. There, there's this desire that, that's in us. And again, remember, uh, Augustus said that those, these things are natural. These, these things are fine. But, but, but what happens is, is that the seed of independence from God begins to fester in our hearts. And what we do <laughs> is that this thing, we allow it to be conceived instead of catching it when it was just a seed and we could have dealt with it. it, it it's not wrong for you to desire someone <clears throat> to be with. It, it's not wrong. But what, what, what becomes wrong is when you allow that desire to creep in and it starts to manifest itself as, as, as you lusting and longing after things that you can't have. That's why we get trapped into different things like pornography. It's because we start pursuing and longing for stuff that is forbidden from us. And so what we get to see, we, we got to see is we got to learn how to catch it while it's still a seed. 
don't let it become confused. Watch out for the seeds of desire in your heart. One of the greatest seeds that gets conceived in our heart is the seed of death. That's, that's the greatest seed that gets conceived in us. If we allow doubt to creep into our heart. And when trials come up in our lives, we immediately start to doubt the provision and goodness of God. We immediately start to doubt the faithfulness of God in our lives. And family, what we need to understand is this. Is that as we are navigating through this life, we have to recognize like First Peter uh, chapter one, verse twenty-three tells us. Uh, verse twenty-three says, "Because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of an imperishable seed, through the living and enduring Word of God." And so, what, what we have to understand is this: is that whenever the seed of doubt enters into our lives, we have to swap it out with the seed of the Word of God. God tells us that he'll never leave us, even when we're in circumstances and we feel like we're alone. God says, I'll I'll be there with you even until the end of the age, even though you look back and you feel like nobody's been with you for for, for months and miles on end. We have to trust the word of God, because when we don't, here's what happens. It gives birth to sin in our lives, and the sin in our lives, family of God. It draws us further and further away from the purpose and plan of God in our lives. Yeah, we're all sinners. Yes, 100%. But to have active sin in your life does not please God. It doesn't do well. And so you've got to walk a life of repentance. You've got to move forward with repentance in your heart, confessing your sins one to another, because that enriches you. Uh, uh, stop taking everything uh, to your grave, <laughs> uh, the, the, you got to tell somebody about the stuff that's going on with you, and you wonder why you never get help. You don't tell nobody. Yeah, and I know people be in your business. I know, like people be in your business just for the sake of wanting to be in your business. But find some people that you trust, that you can confess some sin to, and that you can and receive encouragement from, so that you can grow in the Lord. We try to do our lives so individualistic, and then we wonder why we don't ever grow. I gotta move. Give birth to sin, and when that is fully grown, it gives birth to death in our lives. We have to understand this: is that mature desire. Matured, unchecked desire in our life leads to this. And this death is the, the, the loss of life that is worthy of the name. And so, Jesus comes that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And when we constantly give in to unchecked desires, we strip the pain away of the life that Jesus intends for us to have. When you're constantly chasing desire after desire and you're pursuing your desires and your desires, you begin to lose the splendor and beauty of the life that Jesus offers to you. 
And so listen, I'm closing right. You can come. As as we look at this, and and as I close this, I, I want us to see that we have to be very careful about the things that we allow to be conceived in our heart and grow. Because those things, once they have become conceived, they give birth to death. And family, Jesus never intended for us to not walk in the fullness of life. He never intended that for us. But the pursuit of desires, the dangerous people that just snatch away that life. And so that's why I'm calling us this morning to have devoted desires. Devoted desires means this. <laughs> Number one, means knowing that God does know you. God doesn't know you when you are. He never has.